Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Social Justice Matters, the podcast from Social Justice Ireland. My name is Suzanne Rogers and I am Research and Policy Analyst with Social Justice Ireland. If you're a regular listener, you know our podcasts come in three different formats. We have our 10-minute lesson series, which does exactly that. We take a particular area of policy and look at the key points within that sort of 10 to 12-minute framework. We have our seminar series where we have the chance to listen back to some excellent presentations we've had at previous events. And then we have our interview series where we chat to experts across a really wide range of policy issues. This week, I'm really delighted to be joined by Patricia Scanlon, who's Ireland's first AI ambassador. Whilst we think of AI and machine learning as something quite new, I was struck recently reading Vasily Grossman's, apologies for the mispronunciation, Life and Fate, which was written in 1959 in, in the Soviet Union. And he has a, a small section here, if you can indulge me. This, again, this is from 1959. And it opens, he has a chapter that opens with, an electronic machine can carry out mathematical calculations, remember historical facts, play chess, and translate books from one language to another. It is able to solve mathematical problems more quickly than man, and its memory is faultless. Is there any limit to progress to its ability to create machines in the image and likeness of man? It seems that the answer is no. It's not impossible to imagine the machine of future ages and millennia. It will be able to listen to music and appreciate art. It will even be able to compose melodies, paint pictures and write poems. Is there a limit to its perfection? Can it be compared to man? Will it surpass him? Childhood memories, tears of happiness, the bitterness of parting, love or freedom, feelings of pity for a sick puppy, nervousness, a mother's tenderness, thoughts of death, sadness, friendship, love of the weak, sudden hope, a fortunate guess, melancholy, unreasoning joy, sudden embarrassment. The machine will be able to recreate all of this, but the surface of the whole earth will be too small to accommodate this machine. This machine whose dimensions and weight will continually increase as it attempts to reproduce the peculiarities of mind and soul of an average inconspicuous human being. Patricia is going to chat to me about, I suppose, where these machines currently are, the types of impacts that they're having on our lives at the moment, where regulation sits, and I suppose the opportunities really that AI can bring into education, into the workplace, into how we live our daily lives. We hope you enjoy. The first thing is, Patricia, again, thank you so much for your time. I'm aware how precious it is. So thank you so much. And I was just saying to you before we, we hit record there, I had the good privilege of seeing you speak at the Digital Ireland Conference. Was that last year or the year before? Yeah, it was about last September. It was last yes. year. Yeah, yeah, it was last year, yeah. And I was just struck, I suppose, by, by the role of AI ambassador. So we might begin there. You're Ireland's first AI ambassador. Tell me everything. Okay, okay. <laughs> no problem. Um, so in 2021, the government came up with a national AI strategy that probably had been in preparation for a couple of years. And part of that was the appointment of an AI ambassador uh, to Ireland. And the idea is was at the time, if you think back 2021, was to you know, help start a national conversation. Um, and that would be involved the public, uh, the youth of today, you know, get, you know, any media kind of do some media as well about trying to get people to talk about AI because it was, it's imminent, right? It was imminent. Um, but it was also pre ChatGPT yeah. and it was pre, um, you know, the Pope in the puffer coat, you know, those, those faked images that were really realistic. 
Um, and so it was almost pre a point in time when a lot of these very tangible um, pieces of evidence of what AI is capable of was in the public sphere. So you're almost at the time, the appointment was almost to push a conversation out into the public, get people thinking about it and talking about it. And, you know, so it's different, right? So then, you know, fast forward, um, the appointment was last year, fast forward a year later, you know, everybody's talking about AI and, and we're here today because of, of, of those advances in technology. But I took the role and I put myself forward for the role because part of the government mandate was for an ethical approach to AI. And we can talk about that in more detail, but like that was, uh, you know, putting humans at the center. And I, you know, I've been in the space of AI for 25 years. I have a PhD in speech recognition and AI, um, you know, and I've always advocated for an ethical approach to AI. Um, so I kind of thought it was a good alignment with my own values and uh, thoughts on the subject. There's so much there. And even in my notes here, I have, I suppose, tech first ethics later. So maybe we might begin in, in with the ethics aspect of it. And a lot of the reading I've been doing is looking at we're maybe trying or I don't know whether we're, we're told to think that a computer is value neutral or it has no biases. But I've just read um, Virginia Eubanks automating inequality. So she's looking at how high tech tools are used in the U.S., and again, the biases that are there, that I suppose they're there because we put them there almost. So we don't think that there are biases, but there are. So this is, she's looking at class with this particular one. And then uh, Invisible Women, which is Caroline Criado Perez, looks at how gender, again, there's biases that are inbuilt into algorithms and data sets. So I think she uses in hers, uh, if you go on and do a, an image search for professor, because of bring up men or women, if you go on and do an image search, she says here, uh, philosopher, socialite, captain, receptionist, architect, and nanny, and she'd leave it to us to guess which were male and which were female. So if you're training something like ChatGPT or you're training what you think is a value-neutral, non-biased machine to make a decision, but we're actually putting in our, our already maybe either biases that we're aware of or we're not aware of. So I am fascinated by the ethics piece of it. So we've built this tech and now it's almost like we're trying to roll back and put the ethics in. Okay, so look, you've hit the nail on the head there, right? Okay. <laughs> no, you have, like at what the problem was, but we haven't built AI, right? Yes. So AI okay. is going to be built in every time somebody can start building a new piece of AI. AI is just the, the type of algorithms that are used, right? What people are saying is somewhat correct. That technology is value neutral, right? It is objective when it starts. When you start with an algorithm, it's just a bunch of numbers and it's just a bunch of operations on those numbers, right? The problem happens on the data, as you pointed out, right? So if you think about it, if ChatGPT and the GPT models that sit behind ChatGPT, and ChatGPT is when you enter text and it generates new text and you ask it to do something and it's all new and it's 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 incredible and the image processing the generative ai we're calling it you enter a prompt into the image stuff and it generates a new image based on what you prompted it and the models are trained and that the pro the problem is how the models were trained they were trained by pretty much vacuuming up the internet so it's like a digital vacuum cleaner sucking up indiscriminately everything that's out there on the internet, right? So if you think about that, 
that's either all the text um, or it's all the images. And as you rightly pointed out there, you know, it's the humans are biased, right? We have legacy bias here. And the problem is the internet has reflected that over the last 40 years, right? Um, and also who uses the internet. It's it's definitely, if you look globally, it's more privileged people. Definitely it's been male more than female for a long time, not so much anymore. But what you're dealing with is a lot of legacy stuff. Um, second point is the internet's a bit of a cesspool, mm-hmm. right? You can put your filters on it and not see half the cesspool that's out there. Yeah. Oh, it's a cesspool, right? And, you know, porn is dominates the internet, you know? Um, and then forums with a lot of toxic talk and, and possibly racist or sexist, whatever. There's a lot of that out there. And the, the keyboard warriors and all these people that fill the internet with a lot of toxic stuff. There's some great things in, on the internet mm-hmm. and all of us have experienced that. The problem is when you use a digital vacuum cleaner and you indiscriminately vacuum up everything that's out there, you are going to reflect society's biases. And when they use those models, you create models that suck in this data that reflect those legacy bias. You are now going to propagate that bias into the future if you're not careful. And that's where ethical AI comes up, right? Um, I would say we haven't built every every company that embarks, like whether it's OpenAI or, or Microsoft or, 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 you know, Soapbox Labs, embarks on creating models from scratch or even fine-tuning them. I believe they bear a responsibility to make sure they're not propagating bias, other people would argue otherwise. Okay. So they would say, but that's just the internet. And they only, yeah, yeah. but you know, if you put in um, particularly like there are women and it's all over, if you look on on any social media, women will upload there are some models, and what they do is they take your image and they'll create new images based on it. And you know, shock her, they're very uh, stereotypical, over sexualized when it comes to women. Uh, the men are all like, you know superheroes and and sports um images and and the women are scantily clad um even i think some woman uploaded something asked for a professional photo for her resume you know her cv and it provides some really inappropriate or you know just inappropriate for a professional setting she's wearing way too little clothes in the ai generated image because that's what it's been fed and there's another example of, you know, um, you know, a black woman asking for new images for her and it was just all distorted. And she's they're reflecting on the fact that there have not been enough images of black women up there in these models. So it's not doing as good a job as it is on a white woman or a black uh, man or somebody else who's very dominated in the images. Right. So then you start really getting to the crux of what the problem is. Everybody goes, but it's fine. I mean, what's really. But the problem will be the people who don't suffer from any biases don't see this, right? Um, and, and it has never affected them, so they're not going to reflect very deeply on it either. And that's where regulation comes in, right? We can't rely on people and companies, for-profit companies, to take this as seriously as they do, as they need to, because, you know, honestly, the, the algorithms were amazing. The way they developed them, the most recent ones behind these transformer models and these excuse me, generative AI, are really powerful and they're amazing. It's kind of difficult to do that extra work to make sure that there's balance and there's, you know, but they can ironically use AI to help filter the data that gets into the AI. You know, I mean, yes, is it work? Yes. Is it going to cost them some money? Yes. Do they have billions to do this? Yes. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, 
I do believe there's just, you know, I, I'm, I'm sure people will push back against that. No, it's not possible. It's all a black box. No, I agree. It's a black box, but it's, you know, some of it's a black box, but you can choose to put the work in mm. to change how, how this happens. Um, and it may take time, may take resources, but I would be concerned for the people pushing back too hard against this, because if you've never experienced bias or it's not going to affect your life, why would you care? You know, so the EU are doing a great job on that and leading the field on that, you know, globally. Like that was one thing that that struck me at at the, the conference I saw you speak. I think it was it was somebody who was working for it was an image search engine that this person worked for. And she mentioned that because I wrote this down, it, that it would take 11 and a half years to look through all the images that they hold. But AI can do it in nanoseconds. So, I mean, that's a, a good thing. Like most of us are a fan of technology. Like, And I keep using the example, if anybody ever had to pay their car tax in person, if anybody remembers ever having to do that, yeah. especially in River yeah. House there off the keys. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I remember that. You missed your payment. You're good. Yeah. You had to take a day off work. Um, yeah. To be fair, I think you could actually sit down there and smoke all day, if I remember correctly. <laughs> um, you know, you, you you took ticket number 458. You looked up on the wall. They were at number 272. And if you had one thing wrong, that was it. You had to go home and come back in again. So, like, these tools make our lives easier they do make things easier and faster and quicker and they allow us to to book a flight at three o'clock in the morning they allow us to play candy crush at three o'clock in the morning like this is a good thing in general isn't it like the tools the things that we're able to do are incredible yeah i know so i i advocate for ai i advocate for ethical ai because i do believe there's huge benefits as well i mean i i spent my career in it and i saw some of the amazing things that are possible with ai um you know across health you know there's going to be targeted drug discovery we're going to use ai to be able to solve medical problems and and diseases and stuff that we weren't able to do the human brain was incapable of processing or or in the you know quicken the time for drug discovery, get targeted drug discovery. So the, the drug drug delivery would be for you and not for somebody else. They're going to be able to you know, improve outcomes, catch cancers or other pathologies earlier than they could have through the human eye because you know machines can see differently or better than we can. They're going to help doctors to recognize, you know, retrospective analysis and you know, longitudinal data to be able to do stuff. In education, they're going to be able to do if you think about overcrowded classrooms each child needing individual help. I mean, every child moves at their own pace. The teachers know this and would like to be able to spend more time with each child, but they're not, they don't have the time and they're not being given extra staff members in the classroom with them, or they're not being given smaller classrooms because it's just too costly. Nobody's going to, you know, we acknowledge that's never going to happen. Um, there's an opportunity for AI to help with that, uh, to be able to help teachers in the classroom to assess the kids weekly on their literacy or their maths or you know be able to do catch a child you know at age four and five for dyslexia these tools already exist and they can use ai as well to help being delivered to catch a child at four or five for dyslexia rather at eight ten twelve when they've already suffered through five years of you know feeling like they weren't as smart as their peers when actually in fact it was just dyslexia and there's so many tools and interventions that can help them you know and, and that really levels the playing field for everybody ai can do a lot in this space it can you know I, even chat gpt i just think you know there's a lot of talk about how the cheating and the assessments and it's really gonna change education 
you know, for the worst, but there's also this amazing opportunity that if you didn't have the same access to education that somebody else did, you didn't get quality, quality small classrooms, you know, individual tutoring after school, you know, top university places and stuff like that. But you want to learn yourself and you want to start. It's like having an expert right there in front of you with ChatGPT and you can endlessly ask questions and dive into subjects and teach yourself and supplement your education or just your curiosity. I mean, I'm kind of blown away by that aspect of, of what I've seen in ChatGPT. I've been concepts I've struggled with for years or just never quite understood. Maybe it's a concept in another field and I've, I've encountered it, but I never deeply understood it. Suddenly I'm asking it questions. I'm asking it to explain it simpler to me. I'm, a, I'm, I'm asking it to dive in a little deeper on one aspect that I didn't quite understand. And, and all of a sudden I come out five minutes later going, wow, I actually understand that now. You know, and I probably never would have. Like, so, you know, on balance, we have to look at AI going, there's a lot of risks here, but there's a huge amount of benefits here too. And I really do believe that we can get it right if we if we look at an object, you know, if we actually look at the regulation. And I think it's kind of key if you think about bias and your question about bias is that there is an opportunity to build AI that can be less biased than humans or or remove the bias, right? So if you think about it, an algorithm is an algorithm, you know, no, no AI model is born racist, like, you know, it's the data that makes it so, or, or, but you could actually potentially get it to, if it's built right, strip out any gender bias, ageism, uh, uh, racism, ethnic, socioeconomic biases, and objectively look at, let's say, two CVs or two assessments or two anything, right? And objectively say which one is better, which we you know what's a score objective. When there's anybody's biases informing, there's a, there's a study in the US that shows that um, across the US, I think assessors, so educational assessment experts, differed about eighteen percent when assessing literacy, because some uh, if the kids were they're pronouncing it with their own uh, vernacular, their own dialect, their own accent, basically socioeconomic or ethnic or races. Uh, um, race differences and stuff you're finding that people were layering on their own bias when they were judging how well a child read right so if you think about it, you can build a model objectively if you do but it takes effort right to do that now suddenly you have something that's leveled the playing field a little bit right in in hiring in in education you know all of a sudden we we have a tool that if it's built correctly now people actually bother to build it correctly then maybe you're tapping into something that actually can help. But you have to get over the inertia of people wanting uh, to build these correctly and, and not just rush them to market and start commercialising. That's one thing I was, I literally have written down here, level playing field or will this increase existing inequalities? So you may have already, you know. But it's possible. I mean, that's, that's yeah. the whole thing. We, we've done it it's like in Soapbox, we've done it. We, we do voice AI for children. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so it helps them read and um, in reading assessment stuff. And it was more effort to do it that way. But we just viewed it as in, well, if the, the demographic that's going to be using this would be quite varied, it kind of has to work for everybody, doesn't it? I mean, it just seemed obvious to us that yeah. it shouldn't perform less well for that accent or that dialect over another one. So we built it that way from the beginning. Um, and now we've got... We've got product certification from a not-for-profit in the U.S. to show that we've met, you know, we, we, 
mitigating racial bias in AI. Um, but that it seemed a very obvious thing, but that's pretty much the crux of what ethical AI is, like that you're just taking all the people that are going to use this and looking at all the edge cases and the use cases um, and where, you know, different types of families are going to be coming up. Like, you know, not everything's the nuclear, you know, um, uh, heterosexual family. Like, you know, are you accounting for that when you're deciding on the welfare? There was a classic example in Holland where um, people were, uh, incorrectly flagged for welfare fraud because they didn't it, it was two parents or you know two two females two males and it was being flagged for some there was, it was an anomaly because nobody actually sat down and kicked the tires on um all the people that were going to be using this and and was somebody who wrote the algorithm's biases creeping in there so you need that idea of objectivism and independent um validation of models before they're brought into the market has have all the people who are going to be using it, have you brought in diverse opinions in to really kind of understand, well, we've built this model, we think it works, have we evaluated all the different use cases? And just put steps in place. It's not impossible. It's just a bit more work, like, you know, and it's not, people talk about it as in, oh, regulation can stifle innovation. But really, can it? Because if that was the case in biotech, med tech, finance, you know, those are heavily regulated spaces and the innovations are vast, like, because, you know, you know, there's opportunity to, you know, commercialize as well as make products that are good. So people like to say that because as a way to say, oh, don't slow us down, you know, we're going to breakneck speed here and we should do it. And isn't it going to be great? Slow it down, you know, take the time to to, to write the regulation correctly and we'll be okay. I mean, I always worry about any anything that is anti-regulation. I kind of don't know, like flame retardant 90s is a good thing. You know what I mean? Having no lead in the paint to, on the toys is a good thing. Like I, I would generally be a fan of regulation because it's usually about safeguarding um, you know, the, the population that you're making this thing for. So that, that always triggers me if somebody is a bit like, oh, we've got too much red tape, too much red tape, too much regulation. I go, hmm, not sure about that. So it's the same thing. It's about protecting people who are using it. Yeah. And, and look, let's be honest, not everybody who's going to commercialize a product is going to care. You know, yeah. some people will and some people get quite sense, but we'll care and we build our products great. And you go, great, that's great. That's you. But, you know, you have to acknowledge in the in the market, there's going to be people who won't do this. I think the key to it as well is when people say that it's it's not the regulation that's the issue, it's the implementation of the regulations and making sure there's no you're not creating bottlenecks and you're actually you know, I would say to anybody, you know, you can create the regulations, but if if governments across uh, Ireland, the EU are not supporting the regulation uh, and, and investing and resourcing it correctly, you are going to create bottlenecks and you are going to create problems. So you have to put your money where your mouth is when it comes to regulation as well. And then we're OK, like, you know, just don't, you know, that that it, it'll be done for the right reasons. The products that will result will be the right products yeah. and for the for the world and maybe we can get those benefits we're talking about like you know across you know climate change could greatly benefit from ai like you know better modeling better analysis better you know better energy optimization better you know just like genuinely being able to take more data and be able to predict better the state the the climate crisis in is in right now and actually i heard a great example of uh, using ai for climate the climate crisis was being able to model out to um, 
you know, people in the financial sector who have investments and buildings, the damage that will be done to their assets. So the guy was there kind of going, (laughs) speak it with money, like it's going to affect the bottom line. Oh, then maybe people will start listening, right? Your assets are going to be eroded, you know, know, they're going to fall into the sea or be, you know, maybe then people will start paying attention. But there are like, so there's so many benefits to it. We just have to make sure we've, we're delivering it into the market in a responsible way. To go back to ChatGPT, which I have used the odd time, and it is totally fascinating. I would recommend everybody <laughs> to have a go at it. I used it to write an article for the website recently, and I asked it to write. It was an OECD. I thought I, thought I was being very clever here, Patricia. It was an OECD report on the impact of AI on the future of work. I thought, well, I'll get ChatGPT to write the article for me. So you quite simply ask it to do this thing. And it writes it quicker than I could possibly even read it. And it churned it out in such quick time. Now, I did own up on on the website. I did say, you know, everything you've read so far was written by ChatGPT. So I did. I I owned up to it. But there is that danger that um, I, I might not necessarily have owned up to it. And, oh no, hundred percent, yeah. But the thing I think as well that's interesting about ChatGPT is they call them hallucinations, don't they? So that can, can yeah. you you might you might explain better than I would what what they're talking about when they say about hallucinations. Yeah, and, and they actually find this hard to fix. So it isn't great on on facts and people, and and it will actually make stuff up. So it will actually start writing. You say, tell me about, and it could be. I, I think a friend of mine was talking about, she was asking it to write um, something about showing her class, I think, you know, something about the, the college she was in, whatever. And it actually made up lectures. Like, you know, <laughs> in the, now I think ChatGPT4, GPT4 has gotten better at that, but mm. they're still there. So don't ever, like, it'd be like taking something from Wikipedia, yeah. you know, assuming it's right. It's not, like, you know. Mm. But, the interesting thing about it is, you know, I think there's a lot of concerns about it, but like GPT-4 is very, very good. But again, it kind of helps people. There's, there's, there's like one in 10 or more people suffer from dyslexia or some kind of form of reading or writing thing. Again, it's kind of a little bit leveling the playing field for people like that. Like I would view that as use it as a base mm-hmm. and then honestly edit it after that. Like, yeah. you know, even if even if you get it to write a bunch of bullet points that you're not starting with blank face, and then you really do have to check all the facts mm-hmm. um, in it and, and place names and, and years and dates and all that, because, you know, it's not necessarily going to be accurate. You'll be caught out pretty quick. Um, it's very good on descriptions and concepts and contexts and things like that. It's got a cutoff at the moment of September 21. Um, and just for your listeners to note, don't upload anything uh, personally identifiable. Um, don't upload anything sensitive from your company. Don't upload anything you would not want to be included in GPT-5 because that's where it's going if you do. Um, there are ways of using these t- tools that won't be included in GPT-5, but if you're just going to, and I would encourage anybody to, to look on, just go to OpenAI, the website. Um, for free, you can use GPT-3.5, I think. Uh, you pay $20 your month, whatever, to use GPT-4. Um, but it is interesting because it gives you a window into what's possible. And it is kind of mind blowing when you do you, you go, oh yeah, this will be good. And then ask it something, you know, well, right. And yeah. you ask it something that like, you know, 
you know, you would require good knowledge to know and watch it explained. And what I often do is I get it to explain a concept and I go, oh, good, try again. But this time, tell me more about this and try again. And because you don't have to type the whole thing, the prompt again, you just and you can get it to keep or you can say, explain it uh, simpler, explain it like I'm five, you know, explain, you know, that kind of way, like you can get it to start uh, breaking down concepts, um, you know, and education wise, there is risk massive risk when it comes to the education system about future of assessment but great opportunity as well yeah because that, that was I, I had was going to touch on that all right that this is chat gpt is part of the machine learning is part of what's being hoovered up is yeah. what's being put into it so i know there are concerns like italy's completely banned it because there was concerns about what was going into it and... they, they did and then they rolled back on that oh, okay so they've come back they did. it was yeah. early but there are a lot of investigations across mm. Europe a lot of that was around the data privacy aspects because GDPR is around personally identifiable information so the existing regulation so the AI the EU AI Act won't come into effect for another year and a half <clears throat> at least year and a half to two years depends when they finalize but there is existing regulation that it, they may potentially have already um, violated by if they if they hoovered up personally identifiable information now they're saying they didn't they anonymize and they aggregate and stuff but it's a little unclear yeah at the moment and there will be regulation i think the us as well looking at just being you know and you know the everybody should mind their own information when they use it but also um how these models are built um has to be very careful i think uh sarah silverman and a number of uh writers and actors are um, taking them to court in a class action over the fact that they may have because uh, she got it, it to write a summary of the book she wrote and it gave a very accurate summary she goes that means my book's in your model right therefore it's it is a, it, they're um, a violation that nobody's they've used her book in the models but they haven't actually paid her for it yeah. so that's going to be an absolute rabbit hole of intellectual property yeah. losses that are coming like um, and that has to be resolved. That's that's where my brain is going next is when you look, say, at that defamation space, you look at the, as you said, the Pope and the Pope. Pope and I remember that because somebody sent me the picture and I paid no heed to it. I thought, oh, yeah, OK. And then somebody <laughs> said, oh, and I, I had to be told. And I thought, well, of course it is, because even the way he was moving in it, I thought he's an old man. He doesn't move like that. He doesn't yes, that's true. Yeah, yeah. It was the stride that I should have picked up on. But like that, it, yeah. was so, it was something that I just paid no heed to. So I'm conscious of the hallucination space of the, the, the deep fake, or I don't know what the correct terminology would be for it. But in terms maybe of if ChatGPT writes a newspaper article, about you or me, and it contains something defamatory that it's maybe made up. Is the author, so the the, the journalist, I wonder, are they are they liable for the defamation, or is it ChatGPT that's liable for the defamation? Or as you said, if ChatGPT, because it, it hoovers up everything that's already out there, and if somebody has put their, if somebody's using it to write their memoirs and they have divulged something about me and their memoirs that hasn't yet been published, but ChatGPT knows this already beforehand. Like it's a really strange space yeah. in, in terms of what's it, out It's there. all unclear. Look, none of this, if you think about it, ChatGPT was only released to the public in about November, December, really only came to the public for earlier this year 
Um, honestly, they're all being yeah. like the, the, the courts are chock a block with this right now because there's a flip side to that, right? It's um, so you're going. Who's responsible if um, let's say they, they've said something defamatory? But then equally, who owns the IP that's yeah. been generated? So let's say you generate and these songs that have been created. So who owns it? Is is it Drake who is it, clearly the music's been um, you know the base of it is is his. Is it the person who prompted the AI model to create this new song, mashing up two different artists? Or is it the people who own the models that do it, right? So equally, there's there's the liability aspects of it, but equally, there is the IP ownership aspects of it. And that is, and this is a little bit where the EUAI Act, the new wording in the EUAI Act uh, basically says that these big you know, large language models need to disclose if they're using other people's IP in their models. And there's a lot of pushback, as you can imagine, from these big companies, you know, and I'm sure there's a, a lot of lobbying going on in the background of, from these big companies because they've just vacuumed up the, the internet. They don't want to have the hassle of going back in now and figuring out whose IP is in all these models. When you come to books, songs music photos art you know uh like memoirs um you know you know what's what was used and and that again it's going to be a legal minefield like because there's going to be implications on the liability as well as the ip the ownership um there is an eu ai liability act that's going to be brought it is being brought in alongside the eu ai act that makes it easier for um, people to bring cases against um, a company and and put the burden of proof on the company who creates the models as opposed to the individual. Um, but again, they're all in the works right now. Nothing's nothing's been finalized. But so just so everybody knows, this it's so new. I mean, and people often ask me, well, who's leading and how's the government? How are people do? How's the EU doing on it? It's so new. Scrambling, I think, is the word for it at the moment because the tech has advanced faster than anybody thought possible with respect to generative AI. Everybody knew that kind of concept was there. And to be honest, there were companies doing things like this in the past. They've just taken an absolute leap forward that wasn't really envisioned by even the founders of OpenAI. Um, So that, you know, when people kind of point fingers, well, why wasn't this legislation there? Everybody's going, a year ago, the EU AI Act didn't even have the word generative AI in there. Right. right. Think a big right. Because it wasn't really a word that was being bandied around a lot. Like there were pockets of research and stuff that people were doing and maybe the outcome were doing something small, but not to this extent. So they've actually had to include that terminology and the foundation models and uh, the concept that you take those models and you fine tune them into your own use. Those concepts, those concepts and, and terms weren't being used. So that's that. If you think about it, people are kind of concerned about let's say the EU are further along than any other jurisdiction globally because it's been in the works for years. But even at that, this is so new that everybody's scrambling to get it in, you know. Okay, because that's why I, I have, I've got, I've got AI, like EU AI Act here. Um, the fact that Ireland is, you know, a leader in data protection within the EU. There's the EU privacy, e-privacy regulations. I have Digital Services Act. I have the liabilities for platforms. But as you said, they're all 
they're all there, they're all in the mix, they're all a work in progress, they're all reacting to... But some of those, well, the good thing about it is the, the data protections are there, the mm. services act, the, the, those ones are already in place. And then some of the AI stuff will cross into that yes, and that's yeah. where the lines are going to be, have to be drawn or blurred or whatever. At this point, um, it's the EUAI Act is the one that's upcoming. Um, and, and those other acts that have already been enacted, they, you know, they will cause issues for some... AI stuff. It's almost as if we we might have to rewrite some of those. Um, there may be amendments to those existing acts because people haven't quite encapsulated the idea of what generative AI was going to do, and how. And to be honest, the idea of hoovering up the internet, like you know that nobody really thought that was possible. That was actually an in, almost an innovation on its own, like that that capability to be able to um, do it the way they've done it. Um, so. A lot of stuff's in flux at the moment, but there is so many people, you know, at the table, these discussions. There's never been an act in the EU being debated as much as the EUAI Act. You know, there is, you know, there is concerns and, and um, you know, excitement and concerns and for the benefit of this across um, the EU. I know the OECD are in, in this, the UNESCO have written their own guidelines G7 have had their recommendations. Like, there's no government or body that isn't thinking about this right now. It impacts on on pretty much everything we do. Like, most of us are hooked up to at least a phone, if yeah. not a laptop or a computer. And again, most of us would be engaged in some sort of um, social media engagement. So straight away, you can see you can see you're being targeted for certain ads. You can see that you're being targeted for certain. And again, my my news feed feeds into my um worldview. So it it's it's selling me things and it's telling me what I want to know. So I mean that's that's okay if I understand that that's what's happening, but sometimes a lot of people don't. Yeah, that's AI. So I mean sometimes people think about AI as something like ChatGPT or mm-hmm. You know the Pope and the puffer coat, those image generation things. But we've been exposed to AI for your, your predictive text on your phone. Yeah, that's AI. Yeah. Um, your Netflix recommender. That's mm-hmm. AI. It's been learning about you for years. Um, your Facebook feed, your Twitter feed, all social media feeds are AI driven. Yeah. Absolutely. YouTube. I mean, the problem is everybody says, "Oh, I watched one video on this." person or this concept and it keeps serving me up now you imagine like you know that's okay if you know that's annoying and you know that I I did encounter somebody once and was an elderly person who actually was looking at YouTube and actually kind of gotten into all these conspiracy theories and I remember talking to the person and they went they couldn't understand that I wasn't seeing the same thing YouTube and I think that kind of is mind-blowing for some people yeah. they just assume I go on the internet it's like tv and we all see the same thing yeah and if you're not aware of that those algorithms those AI algorithms they're actually serving you certain content that's not the world and then they can't understand why you don't you're not as enraged as they are because they've yeah. been fed these concepts and there is a concept that you know even if you know something to not be true originally if it's shown to you in three different ways, you'll suddenly start to question and start maybe to believe. And I've seen that with young people, you know, you know, teenager kind of going, telling me something they saw on TikTok. And they're kind of going, yeah, but, you know, you know, that's possibly not true. But if they see it enough yeah. and if the algorithm says, oh, this kid likes this theme or this concept, yeah. 
and keep serving them. I mean, that's the big concern about TikTok in the the US is it's 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 a Chinese owned company. Um, it's dominates social media for for the younger generations. I mean, absolutely floors it. Yeah. Um, whereas all they may have to do is just die. Now, not to say anybody's doing anything at the moment, but if you have the sentiment um, there, you're even in control of it. You could just dial up a sentiment, whether it's discord with government. And this can happen on any platform, by the way, like Facebook and Twitter. And like you're saying, you are showing people content and Let's say somebody's in control of it and they say they're not, but if they are, you can change. And that's what the destabilization, the disinformation, misinformation, you don't just have to rely on, um, you know, an algorithm. People can be pumping it full of stuff. And now AI is going to help do that at scale. So there is language in these uh, acts that are coming down the line that will put some responsibility. Um, I think, you know, those big social media platforms, they are going to put more responsibility on them to start you know, they can't claim that they're just uh, a town square right now. And, you know, because they know they're influencing elections. Yeah. This is just going to continue, you know, and accelerate. That's what I find. Like I live in a three person household, two adults and a teenager. And what we, we you know, we come together and go, oh, did you hear such and such a thing? And they'll go, no. And I go, how, how did you, like my news feed is full of this thing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, so like it's very for you feed. <laughs> yeah, that's it. So it's very, very clear that because I'm into a certain thing, it's it reiterates that it gives me more of the same, um, and and it is. But it, it's usually it's, it's when you're not aware that yeah. AI and I think is... I think that has to start changing a little bit. Like, there's a lot of stuff that's coming down the line. Look, you know, all like all this stuff has you know whether it's, you know, your social media, connecting people, there, there's benefits to a lot of stuff. Over the pandemic, I think it really highlighted the benefit of these connections that we were able to have that we weren't, you know, the isolation would have been so profound, um, you know, if, if they weren't in place. But again, it's not hard to fix these things. That's why I'm kind of, I'm kind of one of these people, I, I can see the benefit of technology. I see, yeah. I just want us to be a little bit more conscious yeah. of, Social media, we know it negatively affects teenage girls, you know, really badly in their yeah. self-esteem and, and confidence and depression and anxiety and suicide. You know, yet they're allowed to have accounts over the age of 13 and there's still no regulation. We miss the boat on social media. Again, there's massive benefits to it. To not regulate that uh, was wrong, yeah. you know, and, and particularly for certain age groups, was really wrong. And And I don't mean get your parent to take consent and then suddenly you're being treated as an adult. That irritates me. <laughs> like it's like yeah. every parent just goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're not going to spend the time diving into the research about how it negatively affects their, their, their outcomes and their confidence. They don't know that they don't have that information. They're just getting pressure from their teenager to do something all the other kids are doing. The onus should be on the companies to treat a 13 year old or 14 year old differently. Yeah. And, and either limit their exposure or limit what they're allowed to do or, you know, there, there are things that can be done, protect kids in online worlds, in virtual worlds. You know, again, these things are amazing and I've worked my career in them. I just see the ice. I think what I get frustrated, I see the opportunity yeah. that they could do something to make it better for all of us. Yeah. And it's not outside the reach of anyone to do that. Um, and that's all that we need to be focused on is that there is massive benefits to, to so many, like, like saying healthcare, education, climate change, you know, everyday productivity, lives, convenience, as you said earlier, but it doesn't, you know, it, it will not preclude all that stuff by, by putting in some safeguards. That's all. 
I'm so conscious I've taken so much of your time already. I'm going to ask one very last question, I think, which is, the, as you said, the impact of this. And I and I think that the, like the sentence you've just said there about we can do better, like that just echoes Social Justice Ireland's stance, which is, you know, we have the tools, we have the resources, we have the knowledge, we can make different decisions that arrive us at different outcomes. And I think that's really the key. Like we can make all of this so, so much better. The future of work and AI. Yeah. They reckon it's going to impact, I suppose, organisations and jobs that they didn't see coming. So the legal accountancy, research and policy analysts with Social Justice Ireland. I, I can get ChatGPT to write my articles every week. Why, why would you pay me to do it? So like, what do you see happening there? Again, it's a good thing and a bad thing. Yeah, I mean, you know, there's a lot we've had this before in, 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 in digital tech and stuff like that. And people often cite that whenever they say job loss. But to be fair, a lot of the conversations I'm having and it's early. Right. And I don't have the answers, to be honest. Right. Um, but the two types of conversations we're having is we don't have enough people to work on all this stuff and deliver the technology that's coming. And and I mean, and not just technical people, right? Yeah. The delivery of AI won't just be technical. They'll require business people, experts, just people with knowledge of different areas, different demographics. So many people can get involved, the regulation of it, all that stuff. Um, and people just need to be trained, right? Upskilled, I think is a good way to do it. But we do not have enough people to be dealing with it in any jurisdiction. I mean, that's half the conversation. Upskilling is half the conversation. And, and the jobs um, issues. We don't have enough information about, I mean, a lot of industries aren't even digitized yet. You know what I mean? So I don't think it's going to, in the ones that are, you are just going to, of course you're going to see it. Like, no, that they're going to, efficiencies are going to be created and they just won't be hiring as much. And we have to acknowledge that. I think the challenge I see here is we have to take that seriously and start the upskilling sooner so that we're not getting a big gap in the middle. So I do see there being upskilling needs. And again, not everybody is trying to be an engineer to be able to work in that area. Or, you know, most industries are going to be touched by it. So you, people don't even have to leave the industry they're in to start working. In. But to make sure that that overlaps and doesn't create a gap. And, and that's a policy um, thing that's going to have to be looked at. And, and it's not just an Irish problem. It's going to be a global problem that people, are, you know, who are the people who are going to be impacted? And there's work already going on in this everywhere. This is not, I think some people kind of, nobody's doing anything. I mean, I don't work in all those areas. I'm not in, in policy myself, but I do see that people are actively uh, aware of this and working on it. And it's just to ensure, you know, being aware quick as possible, the ones that are going to be impacted um, and what could we do about and what's the pace of change and just make sure that everybody's I, I, I am kind of heartened a little bit that I do see more activity and uh, interest and, and, and concern and, and excitement and all but I see it more than any other technical change um, you know it's across the end everybody seems to be paying attention now and to be fair to the open AI guys by releasing ChatGPT earlier this year so the public could um, play with it yeah. And they did it for their own benefit, no doubt, like, you know, to improve their technology. But it did a lot of good in terms of getting us all aware and listening. Because as I said, when I took this role, I was kind of trying to start a national conversation. And we don't do that anymore, which is great, which means everybody's paying attention. Yeah. And that means it's going to be get more attention than, let's say, social media. That There were people crying out and saying social media was going to be an issue, but there, nobody was really listening because we didn't see 
any net downsides to it at the time. And I do think this is different. And it feels different to me that people are paying attention now. And I'm hopeful a little bit on that. And I think that's I, I, where I look at, say, as you said, it's a tool. Like these these things are tools. Tools are value neutral. Tools don't count. Like a hammer has no bias, you know, whether I use it to smash a wall down or put a nail in to keep up, keep some, uh, hang a picture. Like the tool is the same. So I, I, what I could see is like at the moment, we have a mathematical problem and I know how to work out that mathematical problem, but I use a calculator to do the hard bit in the middle and then I get my answer and then I make my human decision based on that answer. So do I take this mortgage out at this interest rate? And I could see ChatGPT probably being something similar, that I have a, a human problem. I put the information into ChatGPT and it does all the hard work and then it might give me possible answers that, as you said, that I still need to go and apply in a human way to the human problem. Yeah. So you, you can really see like these, there are huge benefits to this if we use it correctly. Yeah, exactly. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. If you have any suggestions, any feedback, any conversations you'd like us to have, please feel free to email us at secretary at socialjustice.ie with your ideas and thoughts. Until next time, stay safe.